leadership is lauded, following is underrated, but following, following is exactly what he's called you, what he's called me to do. We're going to explore that concept over the next several weeks, but before we do that, can I just simply say Happy New Year? My goodness, it is January 8th. It's a brand shiny new year. And can we just take a moment and celebrate what Chris just said? We have a missionary that we support that has just wrapped up the translation of the New Testament, the, the, the Bible that we're getting ready to open up and we're going to explore together that we grab what we seek to follow hard after, the truths, straight out of there. It's going to a group of people who desperately need to hear that truth. Can we just celebrate what God is doing there? And what he's doing is we seek to follow him well, even with the giving of our tithes and offerings. We're going to explore this concept of following, and I am so excited about this particular series because leadership, leadership gets all kinds of press, right? Leadership is lauded. There are conferences. You want to go to a leadership conference, there are a hundred of them. Self-help books. Do you still go into Barnes & Noble? You could walk in there, and there's a section of leadership books that you could explore there. You could find a hundred of them a thousand of them probably on Amazon.com. Podcasts. If you were to open up my phone, I counted yesterday, I've got no less than 11 podcasts that I regularly subscribe to that have the word leader or leadership in them. Just for fun, I look to see how many leadership podcasts exist. I couldn't figure it out. That number, I just don't know. There are a lot. But I was able to find an article that says that or it was titled Best Follower or the 100 best leadership podcasts for 2023. So there's at least 100 that are worth following. 100. Just for fun, I Googled best follower podcasts. Google didn't know what to do with that particular search. I trust you've had an incredible Christmas together with friends and family. We did. We got to travel. Uh, we're at that season now in parenting. Our kids are starting to scatter and kind of do their thing. One of our sons has a college internship out in Colorado. So after the last Christmas Eve service, our family drove down to the airport. We jumped on a plane. We took the red-eye flight to Colorado. Then we drove across some gorgeous countryside on Christmas Day. We had to make the Monarch Pass. That was a little scary in the minivan. But saw some gorgeous countryside in Colorado. So Colorado, the West was on my mind when we flew back later that week. I was looking for a show to watch on the plane. Went to Netflix, and I found myself over the last week or so binge-watching an old show. Some of you maybe have watched the show Longmire. Anybody know this show? It's about a, uh, a sheriff kind of wild west. He's the strong, silent leader type. I find it fascinating. Why? Because leadership is lauded. I was thinking about Longmire. I was thinking about this style of leadership, this grab the bull by the horns kind of leaders. And in my digging, in my research, I found a story or two about General Douglas MacArthur. He's this type of leader. If you know anything about this guy, leadership is lauded. I found at least 21 schools in our country that are named after him because leadership is lauded. He was a general in World War I, World War II. Oh, my goodness, he has a string of accolades to his name. He was interviewed one time. Actually, can we just take a minute before we do that and celebrate the corncob pipe? 
There's something about that that just exudes strong leadership. It's like he just doesn't even care what you think about him. This is what a strong leader is. He was interviewed one time, and as I catch a glimpse of myself in the reflection there, I can't help but, uh, my goodness, I dressed for that Western-style leader venue today, didn't I? Larry the Cable Guy is what comes to mind. Like, it looks a little bit like I'm wearing a cut-off shirt. I'm not. There are sleeves there. General Douglas MacArthur, he was interviewed one time, and he was asked the question, hey, tell us about leadership, and conversely, tell us about followership. You're a general. You've commanded men and women to follow you. Tell us about the characteristics of leadership. Tell us about the characteristics of followership. This is what he said. If you take leadership and followership, let's put these up on the screen here. He said, actually, the top two characteristics of both of them are, catch this, exactly the same. Here they are. Good leaders are honest. They're also competent. And we measure leaders on these skills, right? But he said, we also measure followership on these, honesty and competency. This is why, have you ever interviewed for a job and you thought you were going to be a leader, but actually what they wanted was a middle manager? Or maybe you've been frustrated at some point in your life with a job that you're doing and you thought they hired a leader, they really wanted a manager, or maybe vice versa. This is because the top two of each leadership and followership is an honest person and a competent person. You only start to differentiate between the differences when you get to the number three and the number four spot. Are you ready for those? For followers, not just honest, not just competent, but are you reliable? Are you loyal? You can see that in a follower, right? This is kind of what you want. How about a leader? This is where we start to differentiate. A leader, not just honest, not just competent, but also forward thinking. This is somebody who has vision. They can see around the next bend in the corner. They're saying, this is where we're going. Follow me. I know how to get us there. Number four, they're inspirational. Not only do they see the vision of the preferred future, but they inspire others to come along behind them. A General MacArthur saying, we're going to take that hill. We've got to do this for our country. You guys, are you with me? And they follow an inspirational leader. Number three and number four. Here's the deal. In our culture, and I would contend in our Christian walk as well, leading and following are often not just mistaken, but I think they're always, if not often, misunderstood. Not just on the battlefield, not just in the boardroom, but in our walk with Jesus as well. Or maybe perhaps I I should say our walk behind Jesus. Because we're called to follow him. Not walk in front of him. Behind him. He leads We follow. We wrestle with this because, oh my goodness, think about all of the common axioms that you have heard and maybe even repeated since you were a small child. They're leadership axioms because leadership is lauded. We call this out of people even from a young age. Picture just about any two-year-old child. You can picture arms crossed. You can picture pouty lip sticking out. And what do they say? You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. I am the master of my own life. I'm the master of my own domain. And we kind of giggle and we chuckle and we think it's cute in a two-year-old. But a 48-year-old struggles with the same thing, right? I want what I want. 
I'm going to grab my power. And all of those books, all of the podcasts, all of the conferences, all of the, the trainings that we do for our employees and the corporations we work in, my goodness, it just kind of reinforces that because leadership is lauded. It's deeply rooted in our psyches. Let's go back and look at those lists again, shall we? Jesus is calling us to follow him. We're going to explore that here in just a minute. Over the next several weeks in this series, we're going to look at some of Jesus' first followers, and we're going to see how God wired them, and even how different individual personality types, well, how he's wired us, not just to lead, but to follow well. And so what we, I want to invite you to do over the next uh, few minutes as we studied Scripture together, over the next several weeks as we study this topic together, would you do an honest inventory in your relationship with Jesus? How honest are you with your Savior? Are you leaning in to the gifts that he, are you stewarding those gifts well? He's given you to serve, not yourself, but to serve him. Would he deem you as reliable? Would he deem you as loyal? Maybe there's an opportunity here for a gut check, kind of a self-inventory. And I want to invite you as a first follower, that's the title of this series, to lean into this question because leadership is lauded. Following is underrated. But following is exactly what you want to be, what we are called to do. Today's message, the title of it is Follow First. I don't know if you're going to find that in a book title. Follow first. Maybe lead second. Let's take three steps backwards and let's figure out how did we get there. Why is this even a value that we need to explore? Well, partly because words are important. Words matter. If you're dating, you know this. If she looks at you and she doesn't use the word, I love you, but she looks at you and she says, I like you, well, you are firmly in the friend zone, my friend. Words matter. There's a difference between like and love. It's the same with Jesus' words. Words matter. He uses some pretty important words. Years ago, there was a movement, a Christian speaker that I follow. He, he made this call to action. He said, we ought to be red-letter Christians. Why? Because some of those translations of the Bible, especially your study Bible, they put Jesus' words in red letters. We should pay a special attention, his point was, to the words that are in red letters. Well, let's take one of the Gospels. Let's just grab the book of Mark. Let's look at some of the first words that we find in the Gospel of Mark that are in red letters. And let's see if there are some following principles that we should pull from there. I'm in Mark chapter 1. Verses 14 and following. It's up on the big screen so you can see the red letters. We discovered it's not super easy to see them on this screen, so check this out. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. John the Baptist has been out there saying, make way, get ready. Jesus the Messiah is coming. Well, he's been in prison. Now we're into a new era here. And Jesus is teaching, and this is what he says. The time has come. These three sentences, we could preach a whole series on this. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. That word kingdom is so important. Leaders, leadership is lauded. Following is underrated. There's something in here with a kingdom we need to explore. Repent and believe the good news. Listen, 
as first followers, we have to remember, I'm not the king. That pouty two-year-old, that pouty 48-year-old needs to be reminded, I'm not the king. And consequently, this is not my kingdom. I'm not the leader. He's called me to follow. This is an important reminder as we set New Year's resolutions, as we set goals, as we are forward thinking, thinking about this 2023 year that's oh fresh and shiny in front of us. What am I seeking to achieve? I don't know. Is it for me or is it for him? Do you see the distinction there? This changes everything. This affects the way we view the world in every arena when we recognize that I'm not the king. This is not my kingdom. I love this quote by Michael McKinney. He says, followership, like leadership, is a role. It's not a destination. We have a king. What does that make me? A servant. Following is not a destination for me. No, 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 it's who I am. I'm a servant because I have a king. It's his kingdom, and he lets me live in it. Okay, let's keep reading. What does Jesus have to say about following? Again, red letters are important. The first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark are very important. Verse 16, let's keep reading. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, we know him as Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net. By the way, we're going to look at a couple of these guys here in a few weeks. These are some of Jesus' first followers that we're going to unpack how God wired them and how these followers became leaders that were really followers. But I get ahead of myself. They're casting a net at the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, here's our word, follow me, Jesus said. His first words to them. He could have said, I want you to lead a revolution because that's exactly what these men ended up doing. After Jesus died, after he rose from the grave, beat the power of Satan's sin, death, and hell, as he was ascending into heaven, right before that he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to command. Perhaps you remember that text from Matthew 28. And they did just that. They became leaders in the early church, but I would contend in this moment, he caused them to be lifelong followers, and their leadership flowed out of a healthy approach to following. It was his first words to them. Come, follow me, Jesus said. This is what I'm going to do with this following in the very next line. Let's keep reading. I will send you out to fish for people. People are going to view you as a leader. But you and I both know you're a follower at once. They left their nets. And what do they do? Even just to underline this value, the text says it right there, they followed him. Well, those were his first followers. But what about Jesus? What about himself? Jesus himself, he's got some things to model here, right? Yeah, Jesus was a leader. Of course. Of course. But I would contend that Jesus was a follower first. What? Yeah, Jesus was here on earth. He was on mission. The question is, whose mission? Well, it was his, but he was sent here by his father. Father God, oh my goodness, even in his model prayer, when Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. What does he pray? My will be done. 
No, no, no. He says, thy kingdom come. You, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can see this even in the mission statement as he declares this is exactly what he is here to do. We know it as the touchdown verse. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Jesus and him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world through him might be saved. Do you see this, that God is the one sending Jesus on mission? Listen, his last words, we looked at some of his first words, but his last words on the cross before he dies, they betray this tension between leading and following that he's living out even inside of his soul. Luke chapter 23, verse 43, these are words spoken from the cross The thief on the cross has just confessed his belief in Jesus, and Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. How can he say that? Because it is. He's a leader. He can invite whoever he wants to to follow him. But notice this this as well. Even simultaneously in this conversation, he's also having these words to say. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Father, he's speaking to God. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He's asking the Father to forgive these folks that are mocking him, that are jeering him. Why? Because Jesus was a leader, but he was a follower first. Look at this. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46, he says, Father, into your hands, as he breathes his last and he dies, into your hands I commit my spirit. Why? Because he's a leader but he's a follower first. You can look at both Mark and Matthew, and you see these words recorded here. He says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is Aramaic, and it's translated right there in the text into Greek, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus feels the loneliest he's ever felt on the cross. Why? Because God had to turn his back. A holy God had to look away because the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, are on Jesus' shoulders. Because Jesus is following. God asked him to do this. John chapter 19, verse 30, when he'd received the drink, he'd been thirsty, Jesus said, it is finished. This thing is done. Who is he talking to? Well, I think there's a dual role here. I think he's talking to the folks that are at the foot of the cross, that this is finished, this work that God sent me to do, it is completed now with my death. But I actually think he's talking to God as well. God, this mission that you sent me on, it's finished. Jesus is a leader, but he's also a follower. Listen, Jesus, he models leading. Jesus models leading, but Jesus also models Following. Following is a big deal. If Jesus is willing to model it, we probably should recognize that as well. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. He says this, some of his first words recorded in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, you're the light of the world. I love this. American novelist Edith Wharton says this. She says there's two ways of spreading light. You can be the candle Or you can be the mirror that reflects it. Y'all, as first followers, I would contend God wants us to be the mirror. 
It's not our light in and of ourselves. We don't redeem ourselves, but rather we reflect his light to a world that's desperate to see him. But here's the key question. This is what I want to wrestle with with the rest of the time we have together today. Where in your own life, as you think about 2023 in front of you, as you think about this whole fresh, shiny year, where in your life are you leading where you should be following? Where are you trying to grab the bull by the horns? Where are you trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? Where are you leading and you really should be following? I can't answer that question for you. You, with your God, have to answer that for yourself. There's a book. There's a book that I love, and if I'm making a recommendation, oh my goodness, I would recommend this book to you. It's a little bit of an older book. I think it was released in about 1980. 1981, somewhere in there. It's written by a guy named Eugene Peterson. I love even the title of this book. I heard him interviewed one time, Eugene Peterson, and he talked about the title of this book was something he wanted etched on his tombstone. I don't know if they did that. He died in 2018. I love the title. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Discipleship in an Instant Society. By the way, the book was written in 1980, 1981. If the Ronald Reagan era could have been described as an instant society, don't you think today we ought to double down on this idea? If they were an instant society then, what do we call ourselves today? In a moment, we tweet things out. This is an instant society. This is a pretty good book to lean into, and I love that title. A long obedience in the same direction. In other words, that God redeems me, he charts my path, and as a first follower, I'm taking steps along my journey. And it's a long obedience in the same direction. There's a a distance he's called me toward, and I'm going to be obedient my whole life long. I, I love the way he writes this book, and I would recommend it to you for your reading. He takes the Psalms of Ascent in your Old Testament These would be psalms like 120 through 129, these psalms of ascent. Ascent means we're going up, right? The psalms of ascent were psalms that were written and recorded for us by a psalmist because they were the worship songs of the era. People sang these songs, not just inside of a worship space like we're gathered right now, but they sang these very specifically. It was a part of the routine at least three times a year as they left their hometown and they went up to Jerusalem. It's been a while since we've taken out our map of the Holy Land. You might want to pull that out right now. We'd put Jerusalem about right there. So if you live north of there, like Jesus, who grew up in Nazareth, up in this area, I go up to Michigan, right? I go down to Florida. Going up to Jerusalem? Well, it's because they're literally going uphill. In the mind of the folks in the ancient Near East, when they go up to Jerusalem, they're going up in elevation because Jerusalem is in the Judean hill country. You had to go up to get there. In this part of the world, we would call Jerusalem a mountain compared to where they were living near the Sea of Galilee. They're going up. And as they go up, as they're taking those climbs up in elevation, they would sing these songs together, and they would do this to remind them that they're on a journey, that they're first followers. God has called them 
towards something. We're going somewhere. Let's remind ourselves of some truths as we sing these songs along the journey. Like, for example, Psalm 122, verse 1. I love this. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to go worship God. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. They would sing this as they would travel in caravans together. Or how about this one? Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. Even as they're looking around at this land that God gave their ancestors to live in, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and the maker of earth. He leads, I choose to follow. This is his world, this is his space. He's the king. It's his kingdom, and he lets me live here. I'm a first follower. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in that book I just recommended to you. Our lives are lived well only when they're lived on the terms of their creation. We were created to follow the king with God loving and us being loved, with God making and us being made, with God revealing and us in turn understanding, with God commanding and us responding. He says jump. We ask how high on the way up. Why? Because he's the leader and he wants us to follow. Leadership is lauded. Following is underrated, but following is exactly what he's called us to do. Psalm 123, here's another one of these psalms of ascent. It goes like this. I lift my eyes to you, God, to you whose throne is in heaven, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master. Do you see leader and follower betrayed here in this language? As the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. I love what Eugene Peterson had to say about this. He said, it's difficult to recognize pride even as a sin when it is held on or held up as, on every side as a virtue, urged as profitable and rewarded as an achievement. He goes on to suggest that there is a bit of a sickness in our culture. This following versus leading thing. We've got this out of balance and oh, we have to be so careful as followers of Jesus in this culture because leadership is lauded. Following is underrated, but following is exactly what you and what I were called to do. I like this quote that he shared When an ancient temptation or trial becomes a feature in the culture, when it becomes a way of life that is expected and encouraged, Christians have a stumbling block put before them that's awfully hard to recognize for what it is. For it's been made into a monument. It's been gilded with bronze and bathed in decorative lights. In other words, it becomes an idol. There's this ancient temptations where we're constantly trying to grab the reins of my life. Leading when Jesus said, remember? He said, follow me. Follow. Stop fighting for the reins. Stop fighting for the steering wheel. Stop fighting for control of your life. I've called you to follow. There's a journey that we're on. And it's easy as going from one to, oh, let's pick a number, let's say 10. The first step of that journey, following, 
from 1 to 10. The first step is asking the question, oh, maybe even begging in a moment of desperation, Jesus, Jesus, will you please be my Savior? Will you save me from my sins? And I think I'm preaching mostly to the choir this morning. I hope there are some folks who are here today who have not yet crossed that line of faith. And I would love nothing more than to urge you to take that first step toward Jesus. But I think many of us, we've been on this journey for a while, and perhaps it might be hard for you to remember that time you first stepped across that line of faith and you said, Jesus, Will you please save me? I need you to be my Savior, to save me from my sins. We believe the truth where the Bible says in that Roman road that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages or the penalty of sin is death. When we sin, we're separated from a holy God. In Romans chapter 5 that says, But God, while we were yet sinners, well, he redeemed us. He rescued us. He gives us the right to be called sons and daughters of God. But God, Jesus, will you save me? And he says, of course. I'll never forget that first night when I took that step of faith. And I stepped out into the aisle and I walked down front and I confessed my sins before my God. And I looked backwards and I saw my little brother walking right behind me. And I began that lifelong journey that night. But step one was saying, Jesus, will you please save me? I've got sins that separate me from you. Step one, Jesus, will you be my Savior? I would contend that steps two through ten or steps two through a hundred really are more, Jesus, I yield. You be my Lord. You be my boss. You're the king. I'm not the king, and it's not my kingdom. You be the king of my life. You lead. I choose to follow. Why? Because Jesus didn't just save us from something. He saved us for something. And I would suggest to you this is primarily his lordship. The things we do for him flow out of our submission to him. I can tell you the story about when I first asked Jesus to be my Savior, but I can tell you countless stories when I have to continually invite him to be my Lord, continually submit and yield to his Lordship. I can tell you times about brokenness, times about moments of, oh, my goodness, God, where are you right now? And I, I pray some of those psalms, some of those psalms, not the psalms of ascent, but some of those broken psalms, God, where are you? I can't see you right now, but I yield to your lordship. Let me follow your leading. You do with my life what you will. Actually, his followers have been doing that for a very long time. The first followers and us, if we choose to be first followers, we release his power. And this is where it gets difficult. We release his power through brokenness and through surrender. I don't know if you're watching the news this past week, but maybe you're watching a football game this past week and you saw DeMar Hamlin collapse on the ground and the whole nation kind of took a deep breath. Many of us started praying. Maybe some of you saw the next day when Dan Orlovsky, live on CS or ESPN's uh, NFL Live, just kind of broke out into a prayer. If you didn't see that, I want to share that with you right now. Check this out. This is cool. We just want to pray. 
truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 It's beautiful. Respectfully. First followers release his power through brokenness and through surrender. I don't think he knew what else to do in that moment. I suspect <laughs> there's a gravitational pull toward just mentioning, hey, listen, thoughts and prayers. We throw that around in our culture all the time right now, but he, he yielded, right? Maybe even at the risk of peril to his own career, he started praying because this is what he, he was led to do. I think that's a following moment. We see it as leadership, but there's some intense following that happens there. I don't know if you saw this as well. Benjamin Watson, another analyst for sports, was actually on CNN, live TV. Anderson Cooper is interviewing him, and he literally starts preaching about this moment. And it was like, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. And we look at those moments and we think, oh, that's incredible leadership by these people. They're leading out in their faith in the public arena. And, yes, they are. But could I encourage you with this truth? Following might actually be more difficult than leading. What looks like leadership at that moment, in my opinion, is actually intense followership, yielding, responding, following Jesus, even in the difficult moments. I love this Leonard Bernstein, the composer's quote. He says this, the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra is second fiddle. We all want first chair, right? But the second chair, when we say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, steps two through ten. I yield control to you. This is when he shines through us. And what gets mistaken, probably on national TV, maybe even mistaken inside of our Christian subculture as an incredible leadership moment, I would contend that's amazing followership. Jesus, your Lord. And this shapes everything I do all the time, even on live television. Oftentimes, what we view as leadership is simply hard-won following. So could we continue our journey, this psalm of ascent, if you will? We're on a journey ascending toward heaven. Then step one is, Jesus, would you save me from my sins? Please, I beg of you. But let's talk through some of those other steps as well. And as I do this, could I just invite you to ask that question? Do a gut check. We're getting ready to celebrate some time in communion here in just a moment. And I'm going to invite you just to start doing some gut checking. How am I doing at following? How am I doing submitting to his lordship? Number two, after asking Jesus to be my savior, number two, how about this? We submit daily. It looks like this. Oh, this is hard for the control freaks among us. This is giving up control of outcomes, of our perceived gain, saying, Lord, your will be done. Jesus modeled that, didn't he? How about number three, acknowledge your weaknesses. Acknowledge your shortcomings. Be vulnerable. Can you acknowledge that? This is a step toward being a first follower. How about this one? Number four, holy and fully desiring God's will in all circumstances. The night he's betrayed, the night Jesus, before he goes to the cross, the night of the very first communion service. Jesus is in intense prayer. And he says, I don't want to do this thing. I'm paraphrasing. 
I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to go through this intense pain and this intense suffering. But Lord, your will be done. I yield. I submit. I, what I, not my uh, desire, my, my will, but Lord, what you desire, your will be done. How about number five? Accept what you can't. Accept that you can't do it, but only he can. Being a follower, a first follower means, God, you're in control. You're the king. It's your kingdom. Let me accept that. I'm not going to try to control this whole thing. I accept I can't do this thing. Number six, how about recognize my sin patterns? Oh, there's a moment for this right here and right now. There's things that I don't want to do, and I do them. And there's probably some self-leadership messed up in there somewhere. And Jesus says, yield, relinquish control. You have sin. Offer this to the Lord. Recognize your own sin. How about this one, number seven, serve others. Leaders get a little itchy with serving, right? But Jesus says, we'll explore this in later weeks, this is a different kind of kingdom. The first will be last, and the last will be first. We serve around here. Why? Because none of us are really the boss. We're all first followers. We're seeking to follow hard after God. How about this, number eight, repent of sin. Repent means I'm going to turn around, I'm going to go the other direction. In other words, relinquish the world and its control over my life. How about number nine, restore broken relationships This is taking the lead, kind of, making the first move, I guess. But this is really where leading becomes following, and following becomes leading. How about number 10? We receive God's grace and God's mercy, really with the desire and the intent to, in turn, give it away. Again, this is where leading becomes following. And following becomes leading. Why? Because we have one life to live. We have one life to lead. We have one life to follow. When you came in today, there were some communion elements seated seated on the seat that you are sitting. Would you grab those and pull those out right now and just look at them, think about what they represent? We started this message with a story. I want to wrap it with the same story. Because leadership is lauded, following is underrated, but following is exactly what you're called to do. We talked about General Douglas MacArthur. Check this out. On April 11th, 1951, President Truman, president at the time, he relieved MacArthur from his command in the Korean War. He fired him. Why? For insubordination... After the general publicly criticized the president's, well, how he was conducting the war. Leadership is lauded. MacArthur was a celebrated leader. Actually, he was probably rated on a popularity scale much higher than President Truman at that point. Leadership is lauded. Following is underrated. But following is exactly what you're called to do. He had forgotten in that moment that he actually had a commanding officer. There's a president. And like it or not, he had a boss. And he had a job to do, and part of that was to do his boss's bidding. He was a decorated soldier. 
I did some digging on Douglas MacArthur. He actually was the first, he and his dad were both war heroes. He, he was the first father-son duo to both receive the Medal of Honor. Actually, he studied at West Point, and only Robert E. Lee at that point in the history of West Point, his planning, his preparation, he was voted the most likely to succeed. Robert E. Lee was the only one that had surpassed him in his performance at West Point. Leadership is lauded. Following is underrated. But here's the deal. Following is exactly what God has called us to do. So, you have a boss. I have a boss. Bob Dylan put it this way years ago. You're going to have to serve somebody. Jesus put it this way. Nobody can serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. You got to pick. You got to choose. Leadership is lauded. Following is underrated. Could I invite you right now to just do a simple inventory? Where are you leading when you should be following? Get this right. Here at the beginning of 2023, do that self-inventory right where you're at. When you're ready, you go ahead and take communion when you feel it's time. Let me get us started with a prayer. And then we'll respond. God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to wipe a slate clean, to have a fresh start, to be better followers for you, our God. So right now, as we bow our heads and we close our eyes in this holy moment, we recognize that we have a king and it's not us. We live in a kingdom, and it's not what we look around and we see. But, Lord, you, you're leading us somewhere. There's a psalm of ascent going on here. You're, you're refining us for heaven. And so we take another deeper step into following. We confess our sins. We know that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We simply say thank you in your name.